This is the New England Journal of Medicine COVID-19 update for October 20th, 2021. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the Journal, and I'm talking with Eric Rubin, Editor-in-Chief, and Lindsay Baden, Deputy Editor. Eric and Lindsay, today we published several items about the epidemic, but I'd like to start by asking what physicians can take away from the FDA discussions about the role of additional doses of vaccines. Last month, the FDA granted emergency use authorization to BNT162B2, the Pfizer vaccine, as a booster for a restricted but very broad part of the population. And then last week, we heard data on the two other vaccines that are approved in the United States at FDA advisory committee meetings, again, for boosters. What did we learn about all of these? Steve, we heard different types of data for each of the vaccines. For each one, the manufacturers did studies. They gave an additional vaccine dose to some of the participants from their early clinical trials more than six months after they completed their original series. These trials varied in size, but all of them were fairly small, ranging from a few hundred all the way down to 17 participants. Because of their relatively small size and brief follow-up period, they were unable to determine the efficacy of these additional doses. However, they did conduct immunobridging studies. We've discussed these before. To summarize what these mean, they measure antibody responses after the completed initial series and compare them with levels after an additional dose. The hypothesis is that an increase in antibody levels provides additional protection. Remember though, that there's no apparent magic level of antibody that corresponds to absolute protection. However, more antibody does appear to be better. The bottom line is that an additional dose of each of the vaccines produces a higher antibody response. For mRNA-1273, the Moderna vaccine, that was about all of the new data that the panel saw. However, the advisory committee heard twice from the Israeli Ministry of Health and their collaborators about their observations about waning immunity and the effectiveness of an additional dose of the Pfizer vaccine. We've heard some of these data before. Updated data, which have not yet been peer reviewed, seems to continue to show that an additional dose provides additional protection against symptomatic and severe disease. And for the most part, no additional safety concerns have been raised, though cases of myocarditis continue to be seen. Eric, as you suggest, these emerging data are very helpful in us having a better understanding of how vaccines can help control SARS-CoV-2 infection and spread. But we do need to remember that the immunologic observations need to be anchored in clinical outcomes, which are influenced by power in terms of the size of the sample set under observation and the time period under which we can study these emerging outcomes. But these immunologic parameters, such as antibody, neutralizing antibody, do seem to provide some insight into protection and decreased risk of significant infection and illness. But as we've discussed before, T-cell responses, innate responses are important as well. And even within the antibody responses, there's quantity as well as quality and diversity or breadth of epitope recognition or variants that can be recognized. So there are many deeper immunologic parameters we need to understand. However, the current data do suggest that the stronger the immune response, the better the protection, as evidenced by higher neutralizing antibody titers. 
We've talked about mechanism a bit before, Lindsay, and I think you make a very good point. What we're measuring when we're measuring antibody, either total antibody or neutralizing antibody, is a correlate of immunity. We're not necessarily measuring the mechanism of immunity. Now, we know that antibody by itself can work because of studies with monoclonal antibodies suggesting that they can prevent disease or help treat disease early after infection. But we don't know that the antibody responses induced by vaccines are what is preventing disease. However, the different immune responses probably run together. So if you see a better antibody response and the vaccine induces a T-cell response, it's likely that both of them have been boosted by these additional doses. Before we talk about the third vaccine, AD26-CoV-2S, the Janssen vaccine, let's look at the effectiveness of the Pfizer vaccine in Israel. Today, we published a study from Khalid, the HMO that cares for more than half of all Israelis. What did we learn from this study? The investigators here asked about young people, a group that hasn't been studied as intensively since they only recently began to receive the vaccine. They focused on individuals who were between 12 and 18 years old and who had not been previously infected. The study took place between June and September, a period during which almost all infections were caused by the Delta variant of SARS-CoV-2. They matched vaccinated and unvaccinated individuals using a number of criteria, much as they've done in previous studies. Altogether, they ended up with almost 95,000 individuals in each group. Importantly, the rate of testing was fairly similar between the two groups. They followed participants starting from the day of administration of the first dose of vaccine for a median of 27 days. So this was a relatively short study. As has been seen in other groups, protection rose with time after the first vaccine dose and dramatically increased by a week after the second dose. Starting seven days after the second dose, vaccination provided approximately 93% protection against symptomatic illness, a value similar to many studies performed before the appearance of the Delta variant. This is encouraging news. There certainly have been concerns raised about the potential of increased risk of myocarditis in younger individuals, particularly males, but this gives an idea of the very real benefit of vaccination. So Eric, these data are what we need. We need to extend our understanding of how these vaccines behave in important populations for which we lack data, such as younger individuals and other key groups who have not been as well studied. A challenge, as you suggest, is that it's difficult to really define side effects, particularly rare side effects. So these data help us understand efficacy and the lack of significant safety concerns in a large population, 100,000 individuals. But for us to understand safety in a million or 10 million or 100 million, that will require more study over time. But understanding the risk-benefit ratio in a large population at high risk for acquisition of this virus are very important data and help us in thinking through how do we move forward with policies to try and control this community spread pathogen. So getting back to the Janssen vaccine, we've already said that the company presented immunologic data on boosting six months or more after the initial dose, but the company presented a good deal more information as well. What was the upshot of these additional data? The Janssen vaccine is approved as a single dose. 
its efficacy has been somewhat lower than the mRNA vaccines, an observation that seems relatively consistent with real-world effectiveness data. One unusual characteristic of this vaccine, however, is that antibody levels don't decline much over time. This might suggest that effectiveness also persists, though the panel heard mixed data on that point. However, when the manufacturer performed their original single-dose study, they also performed a second study in which participants received a second dose of vaccine, and we saw the first report of these results at the meeting. There are a few important caveats, however. First, the data are unpublished and have not been peer-reviewed. In addition, generally, the FDA performs their own reanalysis of the primary data, but they hadn't had time to do so prior to this meeting. And finally, the trial was paused after reports of thrombosis with thrombocytopenia, so it took a very long time to perform. With that said, the data seem to suggest that there is a better efficacy after second dose. It's going to be very important to see the data once reviewed, particularly as the number of events was small, leading to very wide confidence intervals. However, I took away a few messages. First, a single dose of the vaccine does provide protection, particularly against hospitalization and severe disease. But the protection probably isn't as good as that provided by two doses of the mRNA vaccines. Second, a dose of the Janssen vaccine appears to be safe, although the numbers were not enormous. And third, it appears likely that a second dose will provide more protection than a single dose. So Eric, I just want to take a moment to think through our nomenclature. The issue of a primary series and our understanding of how to think about the primary series for the current vaccines in use emerged late last year, early this year, based upon the initial studies, which in part were based upon the urgency of the public health uh, pandemic and the need to develop prevention modalities that we could move forward in large scale, public health scale. So when I think of the primary series of a vaccine, such as the two mRNAs with two immunizations, uh, three weeks or four weeks apart, the question of is that truly a full primary series and might a third dose be needed as that initial immune induction in certain populations such as are immunocompromised, which I'm highlighting the difference between that primary series of immune induction versus boosting, because we know there are parts of our population who do not respond as well, such as our transplant patients and other immunocompromised patients. I highlight that nomenclature because as we talk about boosters, they're a little bit different than the third shots that have been recommended for our immunocompromised patients already. As we think about the Janssen vaccine, the AD26, the question of what is the best primary series and is it a one-shot vaccine or really a two-shot vaccine to get the strongest immune response possible? And might other kinds of boosters be in its future as we've discussed with mRNA vaccines? I think we've had to make decisions in real time based upon the data available. But as more data emerge, how we think about these vaccines fitting in and how we use them I worry a little bit about us as a community getting confused over some of the nomenclature as we deploy them. What we need to do is enable our community to be fully vaccinated and have a primary immune response, and then determine in the future if additional immunizations are needed to boost or strengthen that immune response that was elicited. 
because the immunology, as you well know, of boosting is a bit different than the immunology of eliciting a primary immune response. That's some inside baseball on the science side, but it is important in how we develop and deploy these technologies to the best uh, community response. I agree entirely, Lindsay. To put it a little bit differently, if we had all the data that we have now, then we would probably use these vaccines somewhat differently. Um, but the fact is they've already been deployed. Uh, most Americans have received the vaccine and that's true in many other countries. And so we're really trying to figure out a strategy to deal with both people who previously received vaccine and the newly vaccinated. It is important going forward though, since much of the world hasn't received vaccine, to think about how we should be deploying these vaccines going forward. So I think these data are extremely important for both sets of people, those who've already received a vaccine and those who have yet to be vaccinated. No, I think that's exactly right. We need to improve the vaccine deployment in those who have already received it while we optimize the regimen for those who will receive it so we do a little better going forward. So bottom line, would you recommend that those who receive the Janssen vaccine receive a second dose uh, once it's approved? Well, that's a little complicated because there actually were more data presented. And uh, what were those? The panel heard about the very early results of the mix and match study in which people who had received a full course of one of the three vaccines were given an additional dose of vaccine. These tested every combination, meaning that there were nine groups of 50 participants each. Everyone who had received an initial course of one vaccine got either the same vaccine or one of the other two vaccines. The investigators measured several immunologic outcomes, but thus far, most of those were antibody levels of various kinds. The data are quite preliminary and some cohorts are not yet complete, but there were some likely take-home messages. An additional dose of any vaccine increased antibody levels. mRNA vaccines increased antibody levels more than the Janssen adenoviral vector vaccine, and all the combinations appeared to be safe among these very small groups. That makes recommendations a little bit complicated, and I think we're going to need more guidance as we see more data and as the CDC panel, ACIP, which helps make recommendations help give guidance as to how to use these vaccines. But it may be that people who initially receive the Janssen vaccine may get the recommendation of receiving one of the mRNA vaccines as a booster. So Eric, I agree these data are interesting, provocative, but very complex to understand and inadequate in many ways. Not that the investigators haven't done a terrific job, it's the challenge of the question, because there are many other vaccines being used globally, such as AstraZeneca, inactivated vaccines, protein vaccines on the horizon. So the issue of mix and matching will get a lot more complicated. And on top of this, mixing and matching is not just vaccine A followed by vaccine B. The time interval between the two vaccines, the doses of the different vaccines. So from a global perspective, this will be very complicated to sort out rigorously 
although the principles of safety and immunogenicity, I suspect, will allow us to make very reasoned choices. And the data thus far of the mix and match based on EUA or accessible vaccines in the US, I concur the safety, there's no evidence of a safety signal, nor theoretically should there be, but we need empiric data. And the immunogenicity available thus far is very encouraging that boosting functions as boosting and does boost the immunologic response in substantive ways that we think are likely to be protective. And I say it that way because I would love for clinical data, but to have clinical data on outcomes would require very large studies over much longer periods of time. And given what we understand about the immunology, it makes a lot of sense to make inference based upon well-done, well-characterized immunologic responses in this setting, such as the data that were presented uh, and are emerging. So I find these data very encouraging, but there are many challenges, particularly as we look at global application of this information. Today, we also published a second study of the safety of vaccines in pregnant women. An initial study from the CDC suggested that vaccination was relatively safe, but that finding was based on fairly short follow-up. Now we have another study, this time a registry-based study from Norway. And what did we learn here? In Norway, vaccination during the first trimester is not recommended. However, several women did receive vaccine, likely before they knew that they were pregnant. The investigators compared the rate of miscarriage in women who were vaccinated and unvaccinated women after adjusting for various factors that could be ascertained in the available registry data. The answer, there didn't appear to be any increased risk in vaccine recipients. So while it's difficult to draw firm conclusions from observational data, the studies performed in different populations suggest that vaccination does not appear to be associated with an increased risk of miscarriage in pregnancy. Eric, as you point out, it's always complicated to affirm complete safety in all settings, but it's important for us to understand theoretical risks and emerging empiric data. And thus far, no significant safety observations have emerged in the setting of pregnancy. And we do know that SARS-CoV can be quite severe in this setting. So this becomes yet again, a risk benefit analysis, understanding how this virus can cause severe illness in key populations and how the tools that are emerging and our understanding of them can be used to mitigate these concerns. Pregnancy will require ongoing careful surveillance, but thus far, the emerging data support the use in pregnancy that prevent significant complications. I think that it is still difficult for physicians to counsel pregnant women as far as vaccination goes. As you suggest, Lindsay, we don't understand the risks entirely because it's not possible to do a randomized controlled trial. And so we're going to be stuck with data like this that's observational. Nevertheless, as you say, everything is very reassuring. And so I think that women who are considering vaccination during pregnancy can take some comfort from these sorts of data. And thus far, everything points in the same direction that the vaccine does appear to be safe. And another way to mitigate this uncertainty is for young women who may become pregnant in the future to be vaccinated now. And the ability to scale up vaccination to all those who can benefit 
can mitigate these concerns going forward, which requires proper communication to all the vulnerable communities that could benefit from vaccination. Pregnancy is a special issue because as you're saying, Lindsay, the data are never going to be the same quality for safety as they are for other groups. Apart from that, there are very few medical contraindications to vaccination. The one group I can think of are people who've had a reaction to an initial dose of a vaccine. But even for that group, the mix and match study suggests that they can get a different vaccine with different attributes uh, to avoid some of the problems. So I think everyone should get vaccinated much of the way you're saying. And if you're a young woman who is planning to become pregnant, it's a good time to get the vaccine now. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Lindsay.